What's up, everybody? Oh, <laughs> hey, just real quick, just from the bottom of my heart, um, and, and I echo this for my family, man, thanks for hanging out with us this week. You guys are an awesome, awesome group. So, and, and, and I got to give a shout out to some guys that were hooping today. Oh, thanks, Ben. Give it up for Ben. Ben's awesome. Man. He's been a great friend all week, too. Uh, man, some guys that were hooping, man, I got to give a shout out. I think it was Keller and Caleb and Jack and Will and Marco. Did I get all that right? I think I got all that right. Let's go. All right. I said I would do that for you guys. There you go. Hey, but this has been an awesome, awesome, awesome week. And last night, man, was super cool. Uh, just, uh, man, reflecting on what God did collectively, but also in your lives as individuals, man, it was, it was just super special to be a part of. And this week's been a really fun theme. And it's hard to believe that it's already Friday, except uh, I know that the counselors are like, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> love you, counselors. Good job this week, man. You guys are awesome. Um, this theme is cool, man. It, it, it looks at this guy, Daniel, who's an ordinary guy who has surrendered his life to an extraordinary God, and God has done some really amazing things in and through him. And in tonight's message, we're going to get to see a little bit of Daniel's human side. You know, it would be just unwise of us to think that, that Daniel didn't have moments that he didn't understand, or maybe that his own well-being, you know, and his hopes for that maybe got the best of him. And the passage that we're going to look at tonight, if you want to turn to it, it's, it's Daniel chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 3. But let me kind of highlight what happens to Daniel and the rest of those who are from Judah that find themselves as exiles in Babylon, they receive news, and they receive news that they've been waiting for for a really, 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 really long time. They're, they receive news from a prophet that God had appointed, that God had raised up to be his mouthpiece. This prophet didn't speak anything on his own accord, but only the words that God put in his mouth. And sometimes those words were difficult for people to hear. And that prophet's name is Jeremiah. And so right before Daniel chapter 9, those from Judah that are now in exile in Babylon receive news from this appointed prophet named Jeremiah about what's going to happen to them. See, they've been longing, their heart's cry has been to return to Judah, to return to Jerusalem, to leave this place called Babylon, although it hasn't been all bad, it has been some bad, and they really just want to go back home. And so they're, they're eager, and they wait for this news to come from God, and the way that God speaks to His people at this time is through prophets. And in the verses right before Daniel chapter 9, they receive this news, this long-awaited news from Jeremiah. I don't know about you guys, but my grandma had a couple of verses crocheted on pillows around her house. My nana lived to be 93 years old. And, and one, of, one of the verses that she had crocheted on a pillow was Jeremiah 29.11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you a hope 
and a future. It's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful promise. And some of you guys are like, hey, that verse sounds familiar. I think my mom bought something at Hobby Lobby recently that's hanging in our kitchen. It's, it's a beautiful promise. And a lot of times we take that promise at face value, and we can. It's, it's, it's true. God does have great plans for our lives. But, but sometimes we don't recognize the context, the things that happened before. See, Jeremiah speaks on behalf of God to the exiles that are in Babylon, and what he tells them is something that they don't want to hear. He tells them that they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. He says, guys, this is what the Lord has for you. This is what he's saying to you. He's telling you to build homes and to plant gardens. He's telling you to work the land. He's telling you to marry off your children and allow them to have children and marry off those children. This is not just going to be one generation that's carried into exile, but it's going to be multiple. And at just the right time, God will pull you. He promises to pull you from exile, but in the meantime, be faithful. He extends this really hard news through his prophet Jeremiah to those in Babylon that are exiles. And Daniel receives this news, and this is his response. This is verse 3. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Doesn't that sound familiar? Philippians 4. Huh. Submit everything with prayer and petition. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to the kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Daniel's heart is heavy. This is known as a lament, a, a non held back cry to an almighty God. Daniel pulls no punches. He holds back no emotion. But notice that Daniel doesn't blame God for the position that his people are in. He recognizes that it was their own sinfulness, their own disobedience, their own rebellion that led them to where they are today. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Lord, it's nothing that you have done. It is everything that we have done. Daniel Daniel acknowledges the own frailty of not just himself, but everybody else. That God so purposefully chose. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And he gives them these rules 
to, to, to live by, these, these things that are going to help them be successful, help them to be healthy, help them to be whole, ultimately help them follow after him. He gives them these things not to be uh, a, a killjoy from up above, but he gives them these things because he knows best. He's our father. He loves us, and he desires for us to follow after him. Daniel doesn't blame God for the position that he finds himself in. He recognizes that it, they've earned this spot. And we're going to end with verse 9 before we move on. It says this. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Remember, my friends, mercy is not receiving what you are owed, while grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. And Daniel, even though he just received some really, really hard news, Basically, he just received news that he is going to be in Babylon for his entire life. He recognizes that God, the God that he serves, the God that he has depended upon up until this point and will continue to depend upon beyond this point, is calling him to something really hard. That he's going to be in the face of adversaries, of rulers, of kingdoms that change hands, but ultimately push back against him worshiping his God, but yet he vows to remain faithful and he recognizes his God as merciful and forgiving, even though he doesn't have to be. Look, guys, you guys in a few short hours are going to be loading up into some buses. And just like God scattered his people to different countries as Daniel shared in those verses that we just read, you guys are going to be scattered all over the place. For one week, you are a collection of people here. And you all came here with all sorts of different things. You all came here with all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of you came here with an on-fire relationship for God, your Creator and Redeemer. And some of you came here never even, even have heard of Him before. But this week... You've heard his truth. You've heard his word. I know that there have been lives, hearts, eternities that have been changed as his word has gone out. And you guys have heard it, but you haven't just heard it. Your minds have been renewed and your hearts have been renewed. That's why camp is so important. That's why camp is so beautiful. Because you get a whole bunch of different people from a whole bunch of different, different backgrounds all together. But more than anything, it removes you it removes you from things that are comfortable. How many of you guys thought the bunks were comfortable? <laughs> Some of you were like, yeah, that was good. All right. Most of us would agree that those bunks are not comfortable. That's by design. Look, you guys get out of your comfort zone with all of your technology and all of your screen time and all of your favorite shows or sporting events and all of your friend groups and all of your, you know, Mickey D's and Chick-fil-A's that are right down the street. And, and, and you come up to a place in the mountains where you have chapels every evening and you have cabin time with your newfound friends and your leader and you're discussing all these things about God and about Jesus and about grace and about hope. And it changes you. And a lot of you are going home a different person because God has radically transformed your life. And my friends, what awaits for you back home 
is all the stuff that you left there when you loaded up onto some buses. What awaits for you back home is all the distractions and all of the friend groups that didn't come for a week of camp and all the teammates. And what, what awaits for, for you might be some challenging things like a broken home or, or a sibling that, that, quite frankly, despises you. What awaits for you might be some really, really hard things. But, but like we've talked about this week, you don't go alone. In fact, if you know Jesus, you not only don't go alone, but you go with a mission that he handed out to you. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I know what it's like to be made new. And why would we ever choose to go back to the old once we've been made new? You guys know that I have a sporting background, but uh, one of my favorite sports to play is football. And um, growing up where I grew up, um, our football team wasn't very good, but yet I was really excited to play football, much to my mom's chagrin. She did not want me to play tackle. She was afraid that her baby boy was going to get broken, and, and that, that's kind of rightfully so. I was six foot three, 135 pounds when I was a freshman, so I was very skinny. And um, I remember the first time I put on pads. First time I put on pads, man, I was so pumped. I remember I had this white practice jersey that said Lodi High School right here, and it had my number on it. And I was super pumped, man. I ran out to the field. I was all excited, man. We had our practice. We, we rolled around in the dirt. We drank from a hose. I don't know if you guys even know how to do that anymore, but we liked it, man, and it was great. And we played football, and, and we got sweaty because it's hot in the valley during the summer. Most of you know that. And I got done with my first ever practice, and I had a locker, and that locker had my last name on it. It was spelled wrong because no one knows how to spell my last name and then they put my number on it and I slammed my practice gear in there man I put my helmet and my pads and my my kind of white practice jersey in that locker and I closed that door and I was like yeah football and then I left then I came back the next day Tuesday I put the practice pads on and the helmet and my practice jersey, which kind of smelled a little bit funky at this point because it was sweaty and got thrown in the locker. And I went out there and I ran and I tackled people and that felt kind of good. And then I got tackled and that didn't feel as good. And then I got done with practice and I was a little bit sweaty and a little bit stanky, but I was excited. And I threw my practice jersey and my gear in my locker and closed it and high-fived my friends. Yeah, football! And then I left. I didn't think to wash it. Most of you guys are like, what is washing? Right. Um, I got to Wednesday. I walked in on Wednesday. And I put on the practice gear. And I put on my jersey, which was kind of crusty at this point. And not so much white anymore. And I put that on and I ran out to the football field. And I was like, yeah, football! And we were doing these drills, and I was trying out to be quarterback, but I couldn't throw that accurately. I could throw far, just no one could catch it. And so then I tried tight end instead. I was better at that. And so I did that, and that was fun, man. And we rolled around on the dirt, and we did burpees, and people threw up, and that was funny. And then I took my practice gear off, and I put it in the locker, because that's what you do, right? And then I closed the locker, and I high-fived my friends, and I'm like, football! And then I left, and Thursday came, and I walked in, and the locker room smelt gross. And then I approached my locker, and I'm like, I might be part of the reason. And I opened that locker, and now my what once was white practice jersey is now like a shade of gray mixed with brown. It, 
and, and then I pull it out, and it's kind of hard. It's not even just crusty. It's kind of like, I don't even know if I could put this on. But I put it on because it's football. And I went out there, and I ran around, and it hurt. It was kind of like running with a sandpaper shirt on. And so then we got done. We ran a whole bunch of wind sprints. That's where you run with your hands out like this. Yeah, tough. And I thought to myself, I should probably take this practice jersey home. But I got too excited, man, it was football! And so I threw it in my locker and I high-fived my friends and I left. And then I showed up Friday. And Friday, I walk into my locker and it was almost glowing like this neon green. And it had like this stuff coming out of the vents and it should have probably had a biohazard sign over the top. And I open up that I open up that locker and this wave of stink just hits me and I'm like, oh, that is terrible. But I had to put it on because it's football. And when I put it on, I kind of felt a little bit lightheaded because it was stanky. And I remember I ran over to the tight end and wide receiver coach and, and I ran up and I, I sat there right next to him like this. And he's just like, he did a double take. He's like this. And then he just kind of moved over. <laughs> yeah, it's football. And then I got into the locker after practice, and I was in there with my buddies, and I was like, man, this thing stinks. So then I threw it in my locker, and I closed the door, and it's the weekend! Yes! All right! I tell you that. I tell you that because that's nasty, right? That is nasty. Look. Look. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone and the new is here. My friends, I tell you that because Jesus has the authority to make you new. And my friends that just accepted him for the first time last night and those of you that have accepted him a long time ago, you are a new creation because of everything that Jesus has done for you. So why would you ever choose to go back to the old? It's like putting on a stanky practice jersey that's been left inside of a high school locker room for a week. No one would choose to do that willingly. But so often, so often when we feel alone or when we feel lost or when we feel scared or we receive news that shakes us to our core, what do we do? We revert back to our old tendencies when all the while we have a God that beckons us, that calls to us and says, no, don't go back. There's nothing for you there. There's everything for you here. And it's hard because we, we attempt to live out this faith in a world that is opposed to us. We attempt to live out this faith in an environment that it seems stacked against us. Jesus says it this way in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. See, Jesus understands what we go through as we, as we live out each day for him. As we live for him in this world that is directly opposed to us, that, that hates us because we ultimately do not belong to this world. We belong to the one that holds all worlds in his hand. He understands that it's hard because he's walked in our shoes. He knows exactly what we're going through because he's gone through it too. He's felt those emotions. He's felt that pain. He's felt that rejection. But he's also 
the source for us to draw from. We aren't meant to be our own source. Only He can be our source. He's the one that we can pull power from. And the great thing about Jesus is, is when He's hanging out with His buddies right, right before he, he goes to the cross and pays for our sins, he, he makes this promise. He says, look, a short time from now, God the Father is going to send the Advocate, the Counselor, the Helper, known as the Holy Spirit. And when He promises that, He, ha he has a big smile on His face. You can see it just in the words because He knows that while God with you is good, God in you is ultimately better. And when you are made new because of the redeeming work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is sealed inside of your heart so that you can draw from that power that is within you. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I don't know about you guys, but if you're comparing death and life and peace, that's an easy decision, right? We all want life and we all want peace and we all want to walk hand in hand with someone who has a faithful hand, who is looking out for us, who wants good things for us, who, who promises us these, these wonderful things because he knows the plans that he has for us. And he desires for us to draw from his strength and not from our own. So my friends, when you go home, it's not all on your shoulders. It never has been. And if you think that you're going to let God down, you're right. But here's the thing. You were never holding him up to begin with. That's his job. He's the one with that power. He's the one with that authority. He holds that position. There's going to be those days where you mess up and you come before God and you lay it all at his feet, just like Daniel did in the prayer that we just saw. And you know what he's going to meet you with? Mercy and forgiveness. Daniel knows that. May you trust that as you go home and continue to grow in that relationship. There was this time that uh, my wife, my wife's a bargain hunter, and I'm really grateful for that because I'm really cheap. Maybe she's not a bargain hunter. Maybe she just has become one because she's married to me. But anyways, she received this piece of oak furniture, and oak is a very dense wood. It's very, very heavy. And at this particular time, we had a two-story home, and she, in, in her mind, wanted that piece of oak furniture in our upstairs master bedroom. <laughs> and she goes, Kev! This is where I want it. And I said, you got it, honey, because that's the kind of guy I am. And then she goes, you're going to call some friends over to help you get that upstairs? And I said, no, I got this. I can do it, you know. And she's like, no, no, you can't. And I'm like, no, oh, something about me. You don't tell me that I can't do something because then when you tell me I can't do something, oh, I'm going to do it, all right? So I don't care if it kills me. And so I flipped that thing over on its side. And that weighs a lot. There's no way I'm lifting this thing. And I start to push it up the stairs. We got carpeted stairs, so it's a little easier. But, but I make sure I grunt a lot so that she knows exactly how hard it is. Right? So I'm pushing this thing up the stairs. And I'm going, like that. You know, I'm giving it my best Academy Award performance. Right? Ah! Yeah. 
she listening? Right? But I'm, it is really hard. I am pushing really hard. And then all of a sudden, my three-year-old gunner gets in between me and the dresser. <laughs> and I, I keep pushing, and I'm watching my little boy. And he goes, ah! He starts pushing it right there with me, and he's making dad sounds. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're pushing heavy things, you got to grunt, right? Ah! And then he's, ah! <laughs> so we're hand in hand muscling this thing up the stairs. And we get about three-fourths of the way up. And then he looks at me, and he goes, hey, Dad, you're kind of in the way. <laughs> in that moment, man, I love my son, but in that moment, I kind of wanted to be like, oh, really? You know? <laughs> I would never do that, but, but isn't, that, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes in my life, when I'm trying to do God-sized things in my own strength, that's exactly what I do to him. See, God calls us to God-sized things, but he never desires for us to do them in our own strength. That's silly. We can't. There's no way that we can do a God-sized thing in a human form, right? The only way that you can do a God-sized thing is if you invite God into the equation, if you draw power from his Holy Spirit that indwells you, the moment that you say yes to Jesus, he sends that, that spirit so that when he invites you to do God-sized things, you do it in his strength and not your own. Because otherwise, you're a three-year-old trying to push an oak dresser up the stairs. He says it this way in John 15. I love John 15. If you want to read a really amazing chunk of scripture, John 15, all right? John 15, verse 4 and 5 says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, 11 times, 11 times in John chapter 15, Jesus instructs the listener and the reader to remain, to stay, to abide, to be with me. He says it 11 times in chapter 15. And guys, I'm really grateful for that. You know why? Because I'm a slow learner and I need constant reminders and if the God, the Redeemer of all people who paid for all sin for all time and then three days later defeats death, if he tells me and tells you that it's best for us to remain in him and he does it so many times, 11 times in one chapter, we should probably pay attention. Right? It's just like, it's just like a dad telling his, his little kid that the stove is hot. That kid should probably pay attention. But if you have any like burn marks on your hand, it's because your parents didn't tell you enough. Maybe they didn't make it to 11. I know my parents had to make it that far. I know that there's going to come a time as you're now heading back to the world that you left to come up to this amazing place called Hume. I know that there's going to be a time, whether it's a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, or a year from now, where you're going to feel like God is a little bit distant. 
I passed this church billboard, and I love church billboards. Sometimes they make me giggle. This one was actually really awesome. It said, hey, you feel like God's distant? Who moved? See, that's the thing. Sometimes when we get back into our normal rhythm and we get back into our normal life, we become complacent. We become distracted. And little by little by little by little, we move away from God. We stop trusting God. We start trusting ourselves. We get caught up in our circumstances. We get caught up in our day-to-day lives, and we, we fail to remain. And if there's one thing that we see in Daniel lived out throughout that book is that Daniel remained faithful to God because he knew that God would remain faithful right back no matter what the circumstances were. And Daniel didn't earn God's favor by being faithful. It was just a rhythm. It was a part of who he was. It was a part of his life. I shared this verse with you because here's exactly what we get to do when we go home. In in, uh, Luke 9, 23, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The very next verse, verse 24, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Look, losing our preferences and focusing on the greatest gift uh, makes everything else fade into the background. John 13 says this. He gives us this command, and this is a hard one, my friends. It seems easy as I'm going to read it, but once I explain it, you're going to be like, all right, I'm going to need to remain in Jesus to live that one out. It says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, underline everyone, if you don't have it open yet, just make a note, John 13, 34 through 35, underline everyone, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That sounds easy. Because when you hear the phrase, love one another, what comes to mind is the people that are easy to love. But Jesus, when he's teaching that, he's not just talking about those that are easy to love. He's talking about those that are hard to love, those that are difficult to love, those that are, that are opposed to you, those that might even be categorized as your enemy. But remember, we were all God's enemy when he sent his son to pay a price for each and every single one of us. And so he says that my disciples will be recognized by the ways that they love one another. Guys, we might be the only Bible that our friends ever read. Think about that. The way that we choose to draw from God, the way that we choose to remain in Jesus He equips us. He builds his character into us. And as we live, as the Holy Spirit works it in and we ultimately work it out into a world that desperately needs his hope, we might be the only Bible that people around us ever read. So what are they going to see? Are they going to see Jesus magnified? Or or are they going to see Jesus compartmentalized? Added to areas of our life where it's convenient. Are they going to see Jesus at the forefront of our lives, leading the charge? Or are they going to see Jesus occasionally picked up here and there when we have a spare moment? Remain in me, and I will remain in you, but apart from me, you can do nothing. In that, in that prophecy from Jeremiah, in that, in, that, in that 
message from Jeremiah that God spoke through him to the, the people from Judah that were in exile, he says this peace, and this is a hard one, my friends. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Right then and there, God says, pray for your enemies. Pray for your oppressors. Pray for those that make fun of you. Pray for those that, that don't allow you to enter into their social circle. Pray for those that are difficult. Pray for the outcasts. Pray for the lost. Pray for anybody that comes to mind. Because if they came to mind and you're remaining in Jesus, he probably put them on your mind for a reason. So do that. Be that for the world that you find yourselves in when you go home. I don't know where you guys call home, but here's what I do know. Is that God changed a lot of hearts this week. And he powered you guys up so that you could be a light in your community, in your households, in your, in your friendship circles, at your schools, so that he could be at the forefront. So that all of a sudden, things start to change. There's a ripple effect as a true Jesus follower interacts with those that might be opposed to that. When Gunner turned seven, my wife and I decided that we were going to do something really, really cool for him. We had never taken him to Disneyland because... Um, we didn't want to be those parents that are wheeling the kid in a stroller, screaming their head off through Disneyland after we just paid 500 bucks to get there. We didn't want that reality for ourselves. And so we waited till, until he was seven to get there. And we didn't tell him, but we got, we got the tickets, and Cannon was only like a year old at that point, and there was no way I was paying for a ticket to take that dude to Disneyland. So one of my interns, bless her soul, uh, decided that she would come along with us and just be in the hotel room for the day with Cannon so that mom and dad could take Gunner by himself on his birthday to Disneyland. It's a Friday. My boy's having his lucky charms because he likes the mallows. And uh, I wrote him a poem. I'm not a poet. But um, I, di I did this. This was a cool dad moment. I was expecting some tears and lots of hugs. <laughs> and, uh, and so I handed him the poem. And he's reading the poem. And the last line basically says to, to the effect, the car is packed. Everything's ready. Let's go to Disneyland. And I'm expecting my dude to weep. And I'm expecting my dude's eyes to just light up. And at least one phrase of like, dad, you're the best dad that's ever walked this earth to like come out of his mouth. And he reads this letter. And he folds it back up and puts it back in the envelope. And just sits there. And I'm like, is my child broken? Does he not know how much money dad just spent for this? Come on, give me something, right? And so then all of a sudden I grab a hold of the dude. I'm like, seriously though, let's go, man. Like, get your lucky charms. We eat them in the car. It's packed. Cannon's already in the back seat screaming his face off. We gots to go. Like, come on, bud. And he's like, I don't know what to do, you know? And, and finally I, I corral the kid and I put him in the, in the car and off we go. It's like a nine hour drive. And we get there, and we check into the hotel, and, and he's just like, oh, he's kind of like melancholy. I'm like, what? This is the happiest place on earth. We got some work to do. I am screwing this child up big time. And then the morning comes, and we stayed at this hotel that was like real close to Disneyland, and they had these Mickey Mouse waffles. 
<laughs> Those are good, right? So we go downstairs. We get the Mickey Mouse waffles. I'm watching my kid. He's got the Mickey Mouse waffles, you know, the ears and everything. And he's got like this smile on his face. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh Mickey Mouse waffles? Come on. Do your magic, right? He's got this smile on his face. He's pumped up. He's, he, he's eating these Mickey Mouse waffles. And, and I'm like, I'm just watching him, enjoying this moment. And, and then Cannon goes upstairs with my, my intern and Shay and myself and Gunner. We, we get in the line at the park, and Gunner's just like, you know, he's, he's kind of taking it all in. And he's just wandering around. And he's never been to Disneyland, so he doesn't really know what to expect. And they scan our tickets, you know, which are on our phone, which that's kind of cool. And he scans that, and we walk past the thing, and we're in, we're in the park. And we get there super early before the ropes drop because we want to we run to the ride that we want to make sure that we get on before everybody else does. And we're standing there at the ropes right there by Tomorrowland and the big castle thing, and Gunner's like this. He's just like, whoa. And he has this look on his face like, whoa, I have never seen anything like this before. And then he looks at me and he goes, Dad, this is absolutely amazing. And in that moment, I'm like, Thank you! I've been waiting 24 hours for that! Come on! And it dawned on me that he just didn't know. He didn't understand what awaited for him at Disneyland. He didn't understand how amazing it was going to be. And my friends, don't be that. God has something amazing for you. He has something amazing for you to do on his behalf, for his glory back home. And it doesn't matter that you're not the best communicator on the planet. It doesn't matter that you're not the most eloquent prayer giver on the planet. He will use you because all he needs is willingness that's what he desires. He desires willingness in somebody that's going to remain in him, and then he does the rest. The Holy Spirit works it in, and, and then we just get to work it out. Matthew 28, it's this great commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end end of the age, my friends, it's not about us, it's all about him. And if he's going to challenge us to do God-sized things, then that means he's going to equip us to do God-sized things. And if you have said yes to Jesus and you are committed to remaining in him and picking up and carrying your cross daily, then, then that's great. This message is for you. He is sending you right back to where you came from so that you can impact the world that you came from for him for his glory so that hearts can be made new because he's going to do the work, not because you're going to do the work. You and I cannot change a heart. Only he can. But for whatever reason, in his infinite wisdom, he chooses to use normal, ordinary, broken people redeemed by an extraordinary grace to be a part of his beautiful story. Understand that. That this isn't just a week where you have a bunch of fun and learn about a bunch about a God that loves you desperately. But this is a week that changes your eternity. And because it changes your eternity, it's possible that God uses you 
that God might speak through you to change people that you do life with as well. And what he desires from you and what he desires from me is to remain in him, to draw from him, to trust him, to be obedient to him, and more than anything, to be willing to be used by him. That we would take big risks as we serve a big God and trust him for big results. And my friends, I don't care where you come from, I'm excited for that place. Why? Because they're receiving you back. And you're amazing. You're amazing. Trust that. As God continues to work in and through your life, you're amazing. You're a masterpiece that he is pushing back out into a world knowing that there's going to be great things on the other side. Can I pray for you? Lord God, thank you, Lord, as we've had the opportunity to study Daniel's faithfulness. Lord God, I pray for my friends. I love them. This is a special group. Lord, as they go home, wherever that is, Lord, I pray that they know that you go with them. And as you call them to things, as you call us to things, that it's not in our strength that we're supposed to dive in, but it's only in yours. So Lord, let us draw from your well daily. Let us call upon the name that is greater than any other name, knowing that you provide not only direction, but you provide strength and you provide refuge. And in those moments that freak us out, Lord, we can turn to you. In those moments that you call us to something that, that might make us shake a little bit on the inside, Lord, let us trust your hand and know that you will step in the gap. Lord, let us, let us cling to you and remain in you, knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. So my friends, may my, so my God, may my friends operate in the newness that you have given them. Help us all fight against turning back to the old because that's death. And let us cling to the life and the peace that you offer each and every one of us. Thank you for this week. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this group. And I'm excited to see their communities, their families, their sports teams, and their classrooms forever changed. Not by them, but by you through them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.